0: With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese and Ryan Marine. Hello
1: everyone, welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365's weekly sports car racing podcast. Still in Detroit, Michigan after a busy weekend. At Belle Isle, I'm Ryan Marine. Jonathan is back in Chicago. He too was at Belle Isle this weekend, and we will be discussing the Chevrolet Sports Car Classic here in just a few moments. We've also got some other stories to cover, with of course the the Le Mans test day, which was recently completed. Also, uh, Blancpain GT Endurance Cup racing over the weekend at Paul Ricard. So. A lot of ground to cover in the recap section, plenty of news as well. We've got an interview with Jack Hawksworth, who joined us shortly after picking up his second consecutive win of the season in GT Daytona. uh, Did it with a pretty remarkable pass of Patrick Long, which if you haven't seen, I think you should go check out the highlights because it was uh, it was definitely noteworthy to say the least. And Jack and Richard Highstand moved on to pick up the win at Detroit in that class, we'll talk to him about that and more. And finally, we'll look ahead to what's to come this upcoming weekend. But John, let's start in Detroit with the Chevrolet Sports Car Classic. Overall, and in the DPI ca- class, it was the number six Acura Team Penske DPI winning once again. A run of really solid results here. The last couple of outings for Acura Team Penske, not just the win for Dane Cameron and Juan Montoya, but the other car finished on the podium too.
0: Yeah, and I think it was a sort of a surprising weekend to see how strong these cars were. We we were heading into the event thinking the Cadillacs would be the dominant force. Um, we sort of seen that in other street races in the past. Um, Detroit in the you know in their backyard, um, having won I think you know every race in the WeatherTech Championship history, whether it be the Corvette DP or the Cadillac. Um, you know, he was sort of in, in that mindset that it was going to be most likely Action Express or Wayne Taylor or maybe even JDC Miller would break through. But um, no, it was Acura Team Penske, um, the number six car from Juan Montoya's um, blazing pole lap. I think he broke the qualifying track record by nearly three seconds um, to. Uh, a controlling run early in, in the race and handing it over to, to Dane um, for the, the second stint. And I think they led all but seven laps of the race. And mind you, there were five full course cautions. Um, the, the, this race wasn't clean by any stretch of the margin, uh, a bit of a messy one with lots of accidents, contact, um, debris, um, lots of stop starts. So it it wasn't as straightforward as as it maybe could sound like, but um i, I think it was clear that the Acuras were were in the, you know in the almost a league of their own this weekend.
1: yeah, it looked that way for sure, and to your point it it was definitely maybe what you associate negatively with street course racing at least for the first half or so of the race, there were a lot of extended yellows, a lot of contact but that's that's the nature of it, and uh, this is an important race on the calendar for many of the manufacturers, and of course for the Penske organization so um, it it certainly serves a purpose. You mentioned though the the strength of the accuracy, and yes, they absolutely were clearly. The, the strong manufacturer over the weekend, but Mazda showed some muscle at times. Certainly, the and Engineering Cadillac looked very strong um, in that dash to the end in particular, so there was some parity to be found there, but just for whatever reason, the Acura seemed to have the measure
0: yeah Felipe Nasser got close in the closing stages, and that was actually probably the most exciting part of the race, sort of seeing Nasser close the gap and then you know maybe bobble or get held up in traffic and then try to do it again and go back and forth and i I spoke to Dane Cameron after the race about that, and Dane sort of explained you know that the the Acura was good in certain parts of the track the Cadillac was in others, and he was trying to manage that you know trying to capitalize on the Acura's you know maybe lesser Best parts of the track and try to make sure he gets there through there smoothly and not through traffic and and keep that momentum going because he knew that you know Nasser was giving it all he had in in, in those closing laps and um, it was quite exciting from from that perspective and. Um, Dane and and Juan now sit five points behind Nasser and uh, uh, co-driver Pipo Durrani in the championship. So even though they won two straight races, they're still, you know, they're definitely in the championship hunt. But I think the wheeling car is um, still sort of the benchmark of of the season um, so far.
1: I would agree with that. And I think both of us thought that given the strength of the team and the driver lineup, uh, that, that that might be the case this year. But look at what accurate Team Penske has done, because in addition to Dane Cameron and Juan Pablo Montoya, who are in second, just one point behind them, that's where you'll find Elio Castroneves and Ricky Taylor, who have just been extremely consistent over the course of the year, still looking for a win. But they are right there, just six points out of the championship lead. And the way it, it shakes out right now, the the top three within six points you got to go back 15 points from the leader to get back to fourth place Felipe Albuquerque and Joao Barbosa and while surely there's still plenty of time for some of these teams that have not had the great start to the season to get back in the mix I think right now we're looking most likely at those those three DPIs the the Whelan car and then the two Penske's as possibly the the championship protagonist the rest of the way.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. Um, You know, there's always others get back into the fight, but um, we're heading towards the the halfway point now. I think we are at the halfway point. This is the fifth round of the season. Um, Second half of the 10-round DPI season kicks off at the Salem Six Hours at the Glen next month, actually later this month. So, um, yeah, I, I think that... You know the, those three are definitely the the favorites, and and we've seen you know time and time again others sort of make charges late in the season. We have to remember Core Autosport last year where they had a really strong second half of the season run with wins, um, you know back to back at 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 two races, and then leading in to the the crazy season finale at at uh, Motul Petit Le Mans. But um, you know so anything could still happen. But um, as long as the these three cars don't get unrailed, I I think that, um, you know, it's it's a likely chance we'll be uh, seeing one of these crews, you know, um, as champions at the end of the year.
1: Let's move the focus to GT Daytona, the other class that was in action at Detroit, but uh, in action, just not with any respect to the to the season long championship this was a WeatherTech Sprint Cup only round of the championship so effectively optional for the the full season teams and yet we did see a pretty good turnout and for the second consecutive race it was Aim vassar Sullivan and specifically Jack Hawksworth and Richard Heistamp that picked up the win and it's been pretty interesting to see this Lexus program really hitting its stride it took a while for sure we saw flashes of it In the previous years of the program, but it seems like under the new leadership, uh, although Jack Hawksworth in the interview was quick to credit 3GT Racing for helping with the development of the car, but it does seem like they've turned a corner, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think it's just in all areas, um, almost like what we've seen with Penske's transformation year to year. Um, You know, we saw some mistakes in pit road. We saw some strategy, um, you know, questionable calls last year from Penske, much like what we saw with three GT in 2018. And it seems like all those issues are gone for for 2019 with with the new Aim Vassar Sullivan organization. Um, Those guys know how to run cars. They seem to hit the ground rolling really right from the bat from Daytona. And um, really hitting it, hitting their marks right now with with the, with the Lexus. Um, I I was impressed again by by Jack Jack Hawksworth and and what kind of pace he's been able to put in that car. Obviously he's the most experienced Lexus driver probably in the world out of this in this RCF GT3. Um, but you know getting around Patrick Long for for the class lead during his stint and um, sort of just controlling the race from there. Uh, I, I think that shows a lot for the program. It shows a lot for the strength of the car right now and the strength and most importantly, the strength of the team. You know, while we say they're an experienced team, it is still a new organization, you know, with the combination of Jimmy Vasser and and James um, Sully Sullivan um, joining um, uh, the, the AIM folks for uh, for this program. So it wasn't like they were running. Last year, none of these teams were, none of the, none of these organizations were in sports car racing. So, um, you know, as a group, so I, I think a lot has come together quickly and. And I think the AVS organization's not only, you know, now a favorite in the Sprint Cup championship, but I think maybe perhaps for the overall um, GTD uh, title race as well.
1: And Richard Highstand, I think, deserves some credit in this, too. He, he came into the season as something of an unknown commodity to a certain degree. He had had a racing career when he was younger. But it had been quite a while since we had seen him in a car, and he has proven certainly up to the challenge. Every time I talk to Jack Hawksworth about him, he just heaps the praise on, and I think it's deserved, especially what he's done the last couple of rounds.
0: Yeah, he sort of come out of nowhere for a lot of us. Um, we didn't really know much about him. He had some Porsche Super Cup experience, I believe, last year, and um, took a break from racing for for a while, much like some drivers do, and sort of getting back into it. and uh, It seems like he's he's very strong, um, you know, a reliable driver, and and um, putting in some fast laps in those those opening stints, which really helps. Um, shape the rest of the race, especially in the way the cautions um, sometimes fly in, in these type of races.
1: One last thing I did want to to make sure we got to in in GT Daytona was, as this was the the first and the only uh, Sprint Cup only round. I know you talked to Scott Atherton about the Sprint Cup and how this fits into the greater picture of the WeatherTech Championship what were how would you characterize that discussion and and Scott's analysis of this experiment
0: um, Scott seemed pretty happy with it you know i i think admittedly they were a bit concerned how many cars would show up for Detroit, knowing, knowing that this was a Sprint Cup-only round. And a couple of these teams uh, made rather last-minute decisions to commit. And um, But he was very pleased with 12 cars. Um, I, I think there's a, a general consensus that they'd like to have a few more Sprint Cup-only teams in the paddock next year. Right now we have Compass Racing with their McLaren. Also, the Lone Star Racing Mercedes um, is is technically doing the Sprint Cup races minus a few of them. So they're not really a full season entrant, but um, a full season Sprint Cup entrant. But I I think that, you know, as this formula continues to grow, maybe we'll see some more um, teams commit next year. Um, Scott did definitely affirm that it'll be back next year with the the WeatherTech Sprint Cup, but the format and which races um, all sort of remains to be determined. I know there had been some rumors of Detroit maybe going to be a a prototype-only round, but uh, frankly, I, I, I don't know how that would sort of work under just like the DPI formula, for instance because yeah, I don't think you'd have enough cars um, to sort of fill the grid. It was 23 this weekend was a, a good number. I'm sure there were a, a number of accidents, but um, I, I think that, you know, if you start taking more cars away, it's not going to put on as good of a show. But um, overall, I, I think that we're we're headed in the right direction. Just got to have some refinements to the, the schedule, perhaps, for the, the Sprint Cup, and, and then maybe find some ways to entice other teams to sort of take part in this um, championship, we do know that Compass is probably going to be moving up to a full season entry next year, so we may be losing them. Although um, Carl Thompson's admitted their, their desire to run a second car next year, um, that would include, a, a that would be a Sprint Cup only entry.
1: Yeah, so some interesting developments to keep an eye on here in the short term. L- let's uh, shift our focus away from IMSA now and go across the sea over to Le Mans, where we had uh, the test day ahead of the 24 hours of Le Mans. No surprise, John. Toyota was the strongest um, from the LMP1 class. Corvette was awfully impressive in GTE Pro. Uh, then you look at the other classes, LMP2, Jackie Chan, DC Racing. One of their Auricas was quickest, while WeatherTech Racing's Ferrari was fastest in GTE M. As you looked at all the reports and the times that came in, what stood out to you from Le Mans?
0: Well, I I think just the sheer number of laps that Toyota completed, again, and I think they did this last year at the test day as well, um, the the pair of TSO50 hybrids completed 108 and 112 laps respectively. Um, and we're the only cars in the entire field to go over 100 laps. And, and considering last year's race, I think, was close to, I think, you know, I think you average around 380 laps, 390 laps for the entire race, you know, for these cars to be doing almost, you know, a third of the race, in a test session shows that they're really out there for durability, um, reliability, um, you know, race preparation, in and out laps, etc. cetera. And, um, you know, that shows that Toyota once again, you know, isn't fooling around they're extremely serious about this race they know that things can happen things can pop up as we've seen in previous years and you know while all the talk has been about eot and it's clear that Toyota's still ahead i i think that we sort of expected that um but they have to you know run their own race first before we you know have we can award them the, the victory um I think one of the other interesting thing, things of note from from that camp is that um, Brendan Hartley got his first official laps in the Toyota at Le Mans. I think he was part of a test a few weeks ago with the team, but um, he completed laps. Um, he'll be replacing Fernando Alonso in that lineup um, starting next season for uh, the 2019-2020 uh, WEC championships. So that was good to see. And and also um, looking at some times further down, uh, while Corvette was quickest in uh, GTE Pro, it wasn't as quick as the Porsche time um, set by Patrick Pule 12 months ago. So, um, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of games going back and forth in GTE Pro, but, you know, you don't want to get BOP handed to you just yet. There could always be a BOP adjustment after qualifying, as we've seen, I think, in the previous two years now yep. or three years so um lots of you know politics and games going on for sure at Le Mans but um from what I could tell from what Dan's coverage had it looked like it was a relatively incident-free uh, day which was good because we need these cars to be all intact for for the big uh race in, in just a f- two weeks time
1: that's for sure and uh, as John alluded to our Dan Lloyd was there plenty of coverage from Le Mans to be found at sportscar365.com. Briefly, also wanted to mention the other big race from over the weekend. It was the Paul Ricard 1000K uh, Bentley Team M Sport really dominated that race they started on pole and won um, by I think 37 seconds which is a pretty massive margin in this day and age it was their first Blancpain GT Endurance Cup win in two years actually dating back to this same event a couple of years ago so congratulations for them Um, we've got coverage of that courtesy of Jake Kilshaw up at sportscar365.com and all of John's coverage from detroit available on the website as well let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll turn our attention to the news of the week here on double stint hello guys i'm alessandro and you are listening to sportscast 365 double stint podcast ciao Back on Double Stint, it is a jam-packed news section of the show this week. There was a whole lot that came down. Uh, We'll start over uh, in some WEC discussions and uh, our traditional hypercar discussion here. So uh, certainly Toyota has been in the news, but hypercar in general continues to swirl around on the back burner or perhaps on the front burner in, in some cases. So where do we stand? What have we learned in the last week since we talked about this the last time?
0: Yeah, hypercar has still been a huge topic of discussion, I think, on both sides of the pond. I I was constantly asked by drivers over the weekend at Detroit, what's the latest, what do we know? And the answer is not a whole lot. The ACO and FIA are, are not officially commenting until the, their official press conference on June 14th, where we expect the, the regulations to be announced or confirmed. Um, based on what we've seen in the last few weeks with um, the, the meeting in mid-May, it looks like it'll be a, um, a similar, maybe an alteration of sorts of the original uh, hypercar regs that were unveiled in December with a prototype-based formula, Um, but maybe with a little less power, more arrow, and um, a hybrid uh, component that is potentially less powerful and maybe even optional. Um, Don't have confirmation in any of this. This is still just based on a a few of our sources that have um, been dripping out some information because uh, a lot has still – in the in the works and even our dan lloyd who spoke to rob Loipen, the toyota gazoo racing um, director at lamar he admitted that the regulations are still not finalized they're still putting you know things together and it's still you know a work in progress before the uh, announcement but um, toyota seems to be pushing forward with a car um we know that there is one under development um you know because time is definitely ticking on this given that the 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 new Regsville debut in the 2020-2021 season, which is just a you know 13 months out until what the prologue will be scheduled for. Then, so um, I think the, a lot of the delays has been sort of the case of the ACO and FIA making sure they have a second manufacturer in place, and we believe that second manufacturer is Aston Martin via Red Bull. Um, there's been a lot of talk in the paddock about that. And while we understand Aston Martin doesn't have the full budget to put a, a program together, we believe Red Bull is positioned to do that. And if this materializes, it would be with a prototype-based car around a Aston Martin Valkyrie. So um, stay tuned for that. Uh, again, that's not confirmed either. Um, we've, in, we've spoken to Aston Martin Racing's um, Uh, head honcho uh, David King in in recent weeks, and he's, again, said the same thing, that they're interested in it, but they're not ready to commit. Um, We also know that there's been a couple other manufacturers um, around the roundtable in discussions with Hypercar um, this past month. um, One that was New to us, it's a a Volkswagen Group manufacturer that's currently not competing in WEC or never has in the past. So, um, some some interesting developments for sure. And I I think we still need to know if and how this could sort of fit with DPI 2.0. I know there was some hope that maybe we'd have a common platform across both championships. And it almost looked like we might have been headed that way just a few weeks ago. And it seemed like things sort of turned around a little bit towards the hypercar idea again for the ACO. But with what's being proposed right now, it almost looks like the the power, the the lap times could end up being quite similar between the two platforms. And you know, if both of them do end up having hybrid powertrains, um, IMSAs certainly will. um, There might be a chance to have some kind of equivalent equivalence of technology or a BOP between these two platforms to maybe let them race interchangeably. Um, I guess that's just a hope of mine. Um, I'm sure it's a hope of a lot of people's. But um, the while the idea, you know, of having a single platform around a single technical set of regulations would be the ideal situation, I don't think we're going to get that, but um, if we can have a way to get these cars raceable between each other, I think that's the next best thing.
1: Yeah, definitely. That would be uh, a welcome addition to, to the conversation because it, it certainly wasn't looking like that was possible when we first were talking about hypercar. And uh, yeah, if you can't have the exact same platform, that, that perhaps is uh, one, one potential salvation there. Uh, how about LMP1? because we, we know we still have the current LMP1 class for one additional year. There could be some changes coming, um, because while there has been some work via EOT to try and even the playing field, it really hasn't had the desired effect, and it looks like the WEC could be going deeper into its bag of tricks to come up with a different solution.
0: Yeah, and this would be in the form of success ballast, which... Um frankly, didn't go over too well when the announcement was initially unveiled. It was through a and a Q&A session with Thierry Bouvet, the ACO uh, technical director, and in a press release that the ACO sent out prior to the test day weekend. And he sort of hinted that, you know, this is something that we're looking at. We admit that, you know, the gap has not been as close as we would have liked it to be. There's been a lot of different factors behind that, um, whether it's been Toyota's superiority um, with its package, especially, um, you know, suspension uh, and and uh, four-wheel drive capabilities, et cetera or the the freshness of of the the new lmp1 non-hybrids you know these cars are still going through their first season the rebellions the um the uh the vr engineering cars so um there was a lot of factors at play you know in this 2018 2019 season um bottom line is that it, it looks like uh, ball- success, some kind of form of success ballast will be introduced, and um, from what we understand, Toyota is on, on board with that idea. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see what exactly is going to be announced. Um, we do have a similar system in place right now in GTE in the European Le Mans Series, and um, something similar to that was is due to be rolled uh, rolled out for GTE Am and WEC for next season as well. And um, so um, stay tuned. I, I personally, I say I'm not a fan of this, but if it's a way to make the racing a little better um, for at least one season, just as an interim thing to get things maybe a little more exciting in, in the race for the overall win. And if Toyota is really on board with it, then maybe it's OK. Um, you know, I, I don't like the fact of artificial racing. I'm, you know... But we've reached a point where we have BOP and EOT and driver ratings and and, and refueling regulations and, and all these crazy rules where – what's not to add another thing to the mix? Is it really going to be a huge detriment? I, I At this point, I don't think so. Um, I'm just more disappointed about the way – the rules have gone overall in, in the last five years, um, even, even 10 years looking back into the GT ranks, but, um, prototype racing used to be more pure. It used to be more, you know, develop what you, what you bring and, 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 and nobody stops you if you have a good package. And, um, that's what we're sort of seeing right now with Toyota. And, um, while I completely understand the privateers concerns and, you know, and if it wasn't for them, it'd just be two LMP one cars going around the track I think that you know we we need to keep this in mind for the future regulations and to make sure that something like this won't happen again if we're left with just one manufacturer in in a, in the top class.
1: Yep, I'm totally in agreement with all of that. Uh, let's move to a different topic here. There was a lot that came out about the Ford GT, where it would be running next year, where it won't be running next year. We know that the the factory program is coming to a close for the WEC at after Le Mans and then after Petit Le Mans on the IMSA side. But there are are some hopes of having either Privateer or Multimatic or Ganassi-run cars. That had been at least uh, the hope in in previous episodes of the podcast. We have some clarity on several of those scenarios. So we'll just open the floor to you here and uh, let you tell us what we've learned here in the last week or so.
0: Yeah, so I did some digging at Detroit to sort of come to the bottom of whether we'll see Multimatic run cars in the WEC or Chip Ganassi run Fords in in IMSA next year, and the answer is basically no – I spoke to Raj Nair, the the president of Multimatic, who formerly was one of the key executives at Ford and one of the guys behind the Ford GT program. And so, you know, he's a huge proponent of this car. Um, He confirmed that they have not entered, um, put entries in for the WBC season on behalf of Multimatic. Um, He stressed that they're still willing to support teams if they were to come on board, but um, there will be no Multimatic run Ford GTs in the WEC next season. Um, Also spoke to Mike Hall, the managing director for Chip Ganassi Racing, and he sort of echoed those um, statements um, saying that it's unlikely um, Chip Ganassi Racing will be running the Ford GTs next year. They're sort of in a holding pattern right now, waiting to see what Ford does on the DPI front. Um, I think it's everybody's wish to to see Ford um, move to DPI next year as a precursor to DPI 2.0, where we'll see a hybrid powertrain in in that package. However, it looks um, – it's pretty clear that there's a bit of a holdup right now over those discussions um, really centered around the level of hybridization that IMSA is proposing. And um, our Dan Lloyd spoke to Mark Rushbrook, who was in Le Mans over the weekend. He confirmed that they're very interested in – IMSA's hybrid, but not quote, not necessarily with the mild in front of it. So it's clear that they're looking for a more powerful, you know, uh, uh, electric motor on that car. Um, uh, IMSA president Scott Atherton's held his stance of keeping something potentially low voltage, um, um, very cost effective for teams. And so there seems to be the, the holdup. Um, if Ford commits, the bottom line is, if Ford commits to a uh, DPI 2.0 program, we'll have DPI 1.0 with Ganassi next year. If Ford doesn't commit to a DPI 2.0, then there will be no DPI involvement from the manufacturer at all. So, um, Mike call said that they've that as a team, Ganassi's sort of given themselves a deadline of August 1st to um, know what's going to happen for next year. They've been actively um, approached by a, a number of other manufacturers, DPI manufacturers, and, and he said it's their first choice to have a DPI program for next year. Um, but there's obviously no guarantees at this point. So um, extremely interesting times around this whole Ford saga, I would say. It, it has ripple effects um, in all, in both championships and multiple categories. Um, Mark Rushbrook even admitted that to our Dan Lloyd over the weekend at Lama saying that You know, the outcome of the hypercar regulations is going to impact Ford's programs all around. So um, I think the week of Le Mans is going to be a crucial one for not only Ford, but a, a bunch of other manufacturers that are looking at both different platforms and trying to figure out how to shape their motorsports programs going forward.
1: Yep, definitely interesting times. Uh, we'll see what we learn in a couple weeks over there at Le Mans. Uh, some other news regarding the WEC. Paul Lana has confirmed that he will be running one of the new Aston Martin Vantage uh, cars uh, in a gte Am entry for next year. Not a huge surprise, but welcome news nonetheless. And also uh, some other things that came out of Detroit, John. I know uh, Scott Atherton had a press conference talking about IMSA's green racing initiatives, and uh, we've got some information about that up on the website. What can you tell us from what we learned at Detroit?
0: Well, as he said, um, sort of getting the band back together, uh, quote-unquote, for this uh, uh, upgraded initiative, this expanded initiative with with the government agencies, uh, much like what we've seen in the past with the ALMS. um, IMSA's taking a bold stance on – um, having you know this uh, green racing in, in embraced in the WeatherTech Championship, we had it for a few years with a uh, an award given that I think it was the DECRA uh, Award in GTLM when they were running E eighty five fuel, but um, a change in fuel uh, 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 a, a change in fuel back to I think the E twenty ultimately. Um, put that award on the, the back burner for, for now. But Scott said with the new generation DPI regulations, DPI 2.0 as we call them right now, um, they fully intend to have a green racing challenge, if not a green racing cup, which is above a challenge in the, in the protocol written by the government organizations. So um, great news there. And also um, he revealed uh, that there is an E prototype under development that, um, in, within IMSA on a potential single-make series with an electric-powered prototype of some kind. Um, you can find out some more information on that on, on our sister website, eracing365.com. Um, really interesting stuff. Um, nothing for the short term right now. I, um, Scott sort of indicated that DPI 2.0 is their main focus. Um, they're not looking to um, do any of this until probably 2022 at the earliest but, um, you know, along with the ePrototype and ETCR, um, IMSA is definitely taking a, a green stance there and, and looking at, um, electric, uh, technology. Actually, there's going to be a delegation of IMSA, um, executives and officials at the New York ePri, uh, next month. So, um, really, uh, interesting to see these developments and, and we'll have to be, uh, following them, but in, in the, in the coming months.
1: So as I said, it was a jam-packed session uh, segment of news here on the show this week. More on all of those stories and others we didn't have time for this week on the website sportscar365.com. Up next, we've got an interview with Jack Hawksworth, who, as we've mentioned, had a bit of a dramatic win over the weekend at Detroit, was able to muscle his way past Patrick Long and win in the GT Daytona category. We'll talk to Jack about that and more next on Double Stint.
0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Steven Simpson and you're listening to the Sports Car 365's Double Stun Podcast.
1: Jack Hawksworth joining us here on the Double Stint Podcast. Victorious for the second consecutive WeatherTech Championship weekend with the uh, aim Sullivan Bunch here in IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship competition. A lot to cover about your race today, but I think people mostly want to know about the pass that you made of Patrick Long to grab the lead of this race. You, you kind of muscled
2: your way through. How did you set that up and ultimately get it done? Well, the Lexus RTF was very good on cold tires. Ty- tend turned the tires on very quickly. Um, so I knew that was my opportunity and we were a little bit the Porsche didn't turn the car on quite as fast as the tyres on quite as fast as the Lexus did so I was close behind Patrick got a good ex- exit off turn six and then um, I knew that was you know it was going to be there's not many chances to pass around this place so I knew that was going to be uh, one of the only ones so I managed to pull alongside him to be fair to him he gave me a, he gave me nice room um, it was a good fair race and uh, you know I was able to get the pass done and that really made the difference there you know the fact that the Lexus turned the tyres on so quick that helped me get past the 86 and it helped me Get past uh, 73, was it? Yes. And that made all the difference.
1: Going toe to toe with the likes of Patrick Long. I know you're a couple years now into this yeah. sports car element of your career, but he's one of the leading lights and has yeah. been for decades. What kind of gratification comes from racing him and beating him ultimately?
2: No, I mean I, I have massive respect for everyone in this series. There's some great drivers, you know, from Patrick to you know to Brian Sellers to there's numerous ones of them, you know, Jerome and Bleakemall and all these guys. So you know, I enjoy racing them. the great drivers. They get the most. Start the cars and um you know when you can have a good battle with them it, it you know you get a lot of fulfil- fulfillment out of that if you will and um, you know patrick was uh you know, the Porsche was strong at certain parts of the race. It was strong at the end of the race. It was a little bit, you know, struggled at the beginning. I had a car which gave me the advantage over him at the beginning, and uh, I was able to make that count, and obviously I'm really happy about that. So he gave me fair room and uh, fair game. He was, he was a great competitor.
1: The development of this Lexus program, it's shown speed consistently over the years. You've proven that with the many pole positions, yep. but now to get wins back-to-back back and consistently be running at the front in races in addition to qualifying, what does that say
2: about how this program has developed over the well, last few years i think the difference is um that we are we're doing the fundament, fundamentals correct we've got we're, we're fastest we're fast on pit lane you know we're getting the tires changed quick we're getting the driver change done fast we're ultra reliable the lexus is bulletproof at the minute um you know and, and Richard's one of the strongest silvers out there so he gives me the car in the top three or four well we've got a chance of winning do you know what i mean so we got great great we got a great great silver driver we got a car which is more reliable than the rest of the cars in Lexus, uh, we've got a car which is, is, is strong at all kinds of circuits in the Lexus, so, you know, and we've got a team which can execute week in, week out, so, um, you know, the car's been fast, you know, but, you know, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, 3GT did a fantastic job developing the car, did a fantastic job, um, you know in, in extracting speed from the car and, and now avs have been able to build on that you know with with, with time and experience and uh, we're making it count right now so you know i think a lot of the credit's got to go to lexus a lot of the credit's got to go to 3gt and a lot of the credit's got to go the to avs you know it's a combination of the three of them that's made it put us in the position that we're in today which is a winning position finally
1: I know you're interested in the weather tech championship as a whole but this is a perfect start to the michelin sprint cup element of the season as well how much are you thinking about that at this point or
2: you kind of waiting to see how that falls in the context of the greater season well look to be honest there's a lot of talk about you know the Sprint cup the endurance cup the sprint you know what the full championship whatever you know at the end of the day we're here to win races we're going to give it our all every single race (laughs) lexus isn't here to mess about we're here to win an avs here to win and if we get a chance to win we're going to try and take that and you know we've managed to take it the last two races that's put us at the front of the sprint championship it's put us near the front of the, the main championship you know we're going to do the best we can you know regardless of uh, you know what the bop is or what happens from here on out we're always going to give our best that's that's our philosophy that's how we go racing and um you know hopefully uh, hopefully it pays off in the long run safe to say it's working right now congratulations thank you very much. Cheers.
0: Hi, I'm Andy Prio, and you're listening to the Sports Car 365's Double Stint Podcast.
1: Back on Double Stint, thanks so much to Jack for spending some time with us just after uh, completing all of his other media obligations following the win over the weekend. John, back with me now for our final segment as we wrap things up with a quick look Two wants to come this weekend and it's going to be a busy one out in sonoma with sro america back on track
0: yeah and we see a rebound in entries for uh, gt3 after i think only 12 or 13 cars at the most recent race at uh, canadian tire motorsport park we're up to 19 for um, sonoma which is great to see um It it maintains SRO's goal of having 18 GT3s for for the full season, and we got the return of TR3 racing with Guy Cosmo and Patrick Byrne. GMG is going to have a Porsche in the Pro-Am class with James Sophronis and Porsche factory driver Dirk Werner, which is a great um, sight to see. Um, Also, we have some of the other... um, teams that are sort of decided to skip the CTMP round, like Squadra Corsa, Garage Italia, uh, returned to the fold as well. So um, that's good to see. We also have a strong field of, of GT4 Sprint and Sprint X competitors. Um, you can find the, the full entry lists on, on sportscar365.com for that.
1: Yes, so I'll be headed out that way, and we'll have some assistance, of course, from uh, both uh, Jake and, and Dan, most likely. Maybe John might be pitching in as well. So looking forward to the weekend out in Sonoma uh, as we look ahead to what's to come this weekend. That's it for us on the show, though, for the week. We'd love a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you have a question you'd like us to address on the show next week, you can use the hashtag AskDoubleStint or leave a comment in the comment section. We'd also like to thank our Patreon patrons for their continued support of us with uh, SportsCar365.fm, our podcast network that also includes special reports at bigger events, as well as our daily digest podcast, which encapsulates all the news from the previous day in under three minutes. So a big thanks to Dennis, James, Jerry, Motorsports Beat, Nick, Paul, Robert, Ron, Taylor, and Tony for their continued Support. If uh, you'd like to join them as a patron, you can check out the Patreon page. There's some privileges and bonuses that come along with that. So uh, check out the link which is uh, attached to this post at sportscar365.com. That's it for us this week. Talk with you with our next edition of Double Stint next week.